there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. How you doing today, Tom? Tom Smith, you know what? Uh, Augustus? I'm Middle name. call you Augustus. No, I, oh God, I think it's so cool now, but I hated that name as a kid. Mm. Uh, I, I thought it was so, so stupid, but I mean, think about it. My name is Tom Smith, so you have to do something cool. That's true. So I kept Augustus. I, now I like it. As a kid, I hated it. Where'd your parents get Augustus? Where'd they hit that? It was my father's name, and it was his uncle's name. Apparently, it was a Smith slash Scanlon family name. Oh. So I, so I named my son his name Thomas Augustus, but... And his middle, his other middle name, we gave him an extra middle name, is Skywalker. Oh. So we want to do something cool. My other daughter, Julie, has a cool nickname too. A cool middle name. But I was so hesitant to do it. Right. Because I just felt like, oh, I didn't want him to be named after me. Or I was already kind of embarrassed about that at, at first. Right. Um, and then Christine's like, you have to, you have to do this name. And I'm like, I want to give him that name. The Tom part of this is the Skywalker. No, the, the, we, the Skywalker. The girl, we let our daughters pick the middle name. Oh. Julie, my older, wanted him to be Thomas Jefferson. And Molly wanted to be Thomas Skywalker. So she wound up winning, but Christine's like, give me that person. She filled it out. She's like, we're doing this. So shout out to my wife. Yeah. Thomas has the coolest cool. name. Yeah, I think name. Older like that. Wow, that's a pretty cool name. But I hate, yeah, but it's Tom Smith, man. It's, it's almost as boring as Tom Labla. My, my mother's really like, you know, if I get something, do something wrong, like the time I walked in. You got the middle name? Thomas, oh, I get the full middle name with the look and everything. I, would, I walked into it. My sister got married. I walked into the house with the uh, tuxedo on and the mud all over it. Yep. Thomas John. Well, well, you, no one ever called you TJ? Yep, sometimes I think my father did once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Come yeah. on, TJ. Yeah, my father was John Donald played about. Maybe we call him JD. Oh no, oh Don. Yeah. Really? Yeah. There's another one too that they had uh, uh, JD Laidlaw and son. Oh, that's so. Yeah, you must have liked that. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty cool then. But when he came to me, he cost oh, 13, 14 years old, asked me if I ever wanted to be a farmer. And I, all I want to do is play hockey. Oh no! Did you see a disappointment in his eyes? No, you know what? I look back at it. I don't think there was because uh, back at the farm we did it make a whole lot of money. So there's like, it was farming. So there's yeah. no the retirement package or anything like that. You just ate, you, you served what you made. So I think he felt like, you know, good. I can get out of the farm going to uh, be a firefighter. He'd been a part-time firefighter, an ambulance driver. So late thirties, early forties to make a career switch from yeah. being a farmer. Now he's going to be a firefighter. Again, he already had his feet, foot in the door. There that's, a, that's old to become a firefighter. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. His, he was going to the fire colleges all the time. So he didn't yeah. want to just be a firefighter. He wanted to learn. He, yeah, he was a chief. He really worked to be the chief too. So I look back at that and I think about when I left playing and became an agent. I just didn't know any different, you know, because yeah. I'd watched him do that and just, just move to the next. Yeah, that's what it's, it's. It's interesting that you didn't want to follow in your father's footsteps with the farm. 
And I, you know, I think a lot of us have that in us. I did the same thing when I graduated high school. I had no idea what I wanted to do. My father, I love my dad. I love, I love my mother. My, uh, my father's like, you're going to work for the phone company, which is what he did for right. 30 years. Right. I don't want to do this. So I took the test. I got passed. I got hired. And the night before I was supposed to go to Brooklyn to start working, I was like, I can't do this. Oh, I'm going to go and figure out a different path. So one day I could end up on a podcast with Ranger Defense with Tom Laidlaw at number, number two. But no, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to follow in this. Right. And I loved him. I respect him. He put us, he, you know, right. took care of us, but I just didn't want to do that. I want something else. And I think that's natural for kids. But it's interesting that little statement you made there. I know we're kind of joking around, but you said that like, where didn't know where you're going to be down the road. You could joke around, be do a podcast. I felt for me, I obviously had the goal of playing in the national sure. marketing, but even like the agent business, uh, the broadcasting, doing the stuff now, the motivational speaking, I think some of the best things that's come to me is when I had somewhat of a, a desire to go in a certain direction, but it was more just get up and go every day, yep. right? Do your job every day. Yep. You never know what opportunities come up. Like I never thought that I'd be doing podcasts with you, but I never thought I'd be doing podcasts about mental health and all those kind of things. Like that. You didn't think like oh, one day I'll find a young fan there, that kid in the blue seats. No, but that's amazing. Like you don't, it, life takes you in different journeys. And if you're too rigid, obviously, you know, you gotta, you gotta move. And all of our, I mean, that's basically the theme of this podcast is all these guys have made these changes yeah. after they, some of them have had an easier time than others, but these guys have done something different. Some of them are doing really cool stuff. Yeah. Like I think back to Clint Malarchuk. I mean, he's, he's a horse dentist now. Yeah. Cool. Which is incredible. And a chiropractor. So he's massaging. It's a, it's yeah, a solo. Guys, Col- We'd love to get Kovalev on the show too. We went to Dallas. I got to know him a little bit more. He was part of the who, who was that? Uh, Alex Kovalev. Oh, sure. sure. Yeah. Uh, so he's got his pilots. Yeah, helicopter. Helicopter. Right? That's what He does both. Yeah. 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 So, but when you think about some of the odd things, who else were, became a firefighter? I think Thomas Sanson was back in Sweden. Really? Firefighter. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Mike Allison worked in the Border Patrol up in uh, Canada. Sure. Oh, Grant Jennings fixes airplanes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, sure. Yeah. People do some really but cool things. Like, I think especially back then, we, we didn't make much money. Right. So these guys have to go get careers. Again, sitting on the bench there with some of the younger alumni guys, Binsky and Aaron Burroughs. Uh, did he say his name? Burroughs. He didn't. Right? He, you, you actually were close enough. Yeah. Judges said that was good. Right. Good. Close enough counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Yes, and in this podcast. Yeah. Um, but I was sitting on the bench. Hey, hey guys, so what are you doing for work now? And you, you see, you make to me work. I've got an investment problem. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, I think you said the most you made in the season was what, 300,000? Just a little over 300,000 my last year in LA. So Dubinsky's, you know, he's probably making yeah. a million when he retired. Yeah. I, uh, you know, and that's over multiple years. So yeah. those guys, if yeah. they're smart. And I was saying, because you figure, okay, so if I made $300,000 living in Los Angeles, so pretty much half of that goes to taxes. Right. Then you got living expense, you got to pay your agent, you got living divorces, divorces. Al- alimony, alimony. That, I, uh, the point, the thing is, they get upset about all the money the guys are making now. I said, well, listen, Here's my retirement package. My first ex-wife got half of whatever right. I made. My second ex-wife got half of that. That's my retirement plan. So your third ex-wife will get what? The pit. So, okay, we got to follow this. What's the, everybody seen Bachelor? Bachelor show? The Bachelor? Ba- Bachelor, yes, The Bachelor show. I've never, never seen okay, that. Okay, but you know what it's premise. It's right? like Survivor, but without the island. Right. So, so I, I, I know it's I know it's multiple women or, and they have Bachelorette too, right? right yeah. It goes both ways. I don't, you know, I used to work with people who were like in fantasy leagues for this, which is crazy. Oh, like, yeah. like Bachelor fantasy. Right. Yeah. So now they have a senior fan, uh, Bachelor. I think it's called Golden Years. Oh, that's all you, man. So I was approached a couple of years ago by a person from a marketing company suggesting that I put in an application uh, to do uh, that. But the idea is like, you have to be over 65. Oh, see, so that's no good for you because you got to date other 65 year olds. Yeah. Oh, that's that's not your wheel. And the idea is too that the premise is supposed to be that you want to get married. I'm not. So we so we've we've established on this podcast that you're a height bully. Um, now you're an age bully too. Well, I mean, I mean, 
honest person is what I am. I tell the truth, what my desires are. It's like that, Yona, who's the actor? Yona? Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Or Yona, if he's yeah. from Sweden. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a gift at that, right? No, no, he's like yeah. this. So he got in trouble the other day in the media because he wrote to his girlfriend and she posted it on, online. What is expectations? All these were. rules, right? Yes. Our relationship, her like, butt cheeks out and Facebook and Instagram like that. It, like people give him a hard time. Like I said, well, he's being honest. You may not like his rules, but at least he's been, she doesn't have to stay with him. I, 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 I respect having ground rules in a relationship, but you look like a kooky out of touch knucklehead when you're texting it to well, someone like it's, a, well, it's almost like it's a contract. But, okay, but she's the one that made it go public. She, she sent it public. So they you did, but uh, you know, anything you well, text. But when, you're, yeah, when you're a star like he is, you shouldn't be doing that. But I think the flip side is also, so being very honest, he's writing it down. So they can't get back later on and say, I didn't understand this. Like some of my relationships in the past have been like that. We said, really, I didn't know you were thinking. Well, yeah. Well, well are you shocked that you didn't tell? Uh, now, I, now I'm not. Uh, but it's time. I but no, I, I, I love the idea of, uh, not so much a contract, but basically he's like, these are my expectations. But when you text it, you just look like a wacko, you know? Well, I guess, especially if you're some normal guy, but you're a star, you know that she's a young girl. If you don't, if it doesn't work, she's got to use that to her course. And especially, I mean, if your name is Yona. That's going to be Jonah. Have you have you ever seen a movie that with Jonah Hill in it? Uh, yeah. Well, was he in the one where they went to Vegas? Him and uh, what the guys went to Vegas? No, that's Zach Galifianakis, The Hangover. Yeah. No. That was just, oh man, he's super bad. You probably you don't watch movies. Man. Oh, how about his? Like, uh, the, there were teachers in the school. They're like planted, like there were police officers that had to pretend they were teachers. Oh my god, you're talking about Twenty One Jump Street? Was that what it was? Wow. You watched that movie? No, I don't. But who was he in with it? The one guy is. He's a Channing Tatum. No, is it yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so. I think you need to watch some better movies, man. You watch, you can't just subsist on watching John Wayne movies. Oh, I don't like it's, watch it. No, it's true. You watch the YouTube police audits. Yes. Which they do, do actually, they hold your attention when they you do. watch it. Right. You get to see, it's why I like it is, it's not somebody's accounting. It. Somebody else like to say, okay, this is what happened. You're actually watching it. Yeah. So I, I've learned more and more that like, you know, I'm watching the news all the time. It's somebody else's opinion of what's the, the events. I want, I want to go research myself, find out really what's going on. Yeah. I, did, I wasn't like that before. Actually, I was doing a show with this woman. Uh, she was an epidemiologist out of Virginia Beach. Her husband was worked on nuclear submarines. Wow. Really intelligent woman. And she taught me that, like, you know, about the medical world, like, you know, all the vaccines and all that. Sure. She's talking, do your own homework. Don't listen yeah. to me or anybody else. There's all kinds of research out there to find out. Something. Well, that, that, yeah, you have to. And everyone does that. But that became like a dirty word with this whole pandemic. People are like, why are you doing your own research? I'll trust what we say, oh, which... No matter what, no matter what side you fall on, yeah, research for yourself because you inform yourself because it's all you know. Yeah. Make your own decision. Yeah, totally. Even with doctors, they sometimes it, you know, like you know, their testosterone replacement therapy has become a bigger thing now. Some doctors you talk to, they don't know about it, so they say, "No, you can't. It's just yeah, you can't do it." But but others because some just told line. I, we had a we have a great pediatrician for our kids, and he who was great at the beginning. He's like, took he's asking her, he's like, "You're the mom. You know the kids better. What do you think?" Right. Which I, I was kind of blown away because we think of doctors as like they know it all, everything. Right. These, they're just dudes. And then the first patient we had kept scratching his nuts in, in, in while he's treating one of our girls. I'm like, is this? Who's the doctor? I'm not going to say his name, but he was in Jersey. Yeah. And he kept, it's like he had like bad bat weight and he kept like adjusting. We're like, what is this guy doing? And yeah. So we moved on to the other moving one. on though, yeah. But our, our doctor, our kid was, was a dentist or doctor? Can't remember, Dr. Butcher. Is this, wow, it's a terrible name. Yeah, I know. Uh, wow. My father used to always tell a story that he took me to the dentist one time. Uh, I was relatively young, and he uh, sat out in the waiting room, and all of a sudden, he heard the doctor screaming and me running out the door. Oh, no. His finger. You took his way to the doctor? No, I bit his finger. Oh. It was so remote. I said, no, I ain't staying. 
<laughs> and my dad says, he told the story. It was hilarious, right? He hears his scream. And I was just like a bolt of lightning out the door. I, was, I didn't stop to see my father in there. I said, well, this, I'm out. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. So you stood up for yourself. Yeah. And that's why you don't go to the doctor anymore. No, I'm no doctor. And you don't need a dentist, obviously, because those chompers are. They're nice. They're, 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 they're good-looking teeth. Uh, no, I don't. I actually saw a funny reel the other day where a young girl goes, um, young woman goes, uh, so why don't you guys go to doctors? And the guy gets out and says, okay, well, if you're married, it's because your your wife kn- knows everything that's wrong <laughs> with you and how to fix it. So you know, I don't have to go to a doctor. I just got my wife. No, well, and you have you don't have a wife, so oh. why don't you go to the doctor? Yeah, <laughs> you should get. You got to get checkups, man. Yeah, they mirrors. It's it's astounding to me because you're all about health, mental health, physical health, working out, eating right. But you're like, I'm not going to a doctor. Okay, but here's okay, interesting. And this is really serious. I put a lot of thought into this. Uh, so I again, I don't want to influence other people. So I want to be very good. This is my theory. I think we've had to discuss it. From the day you're born, you're moving closer to the day that you're going to die. Sure. Right? Facts. That's fact of life. Yeah. So be, I want to live my life all out from this day to the end of my existence, right? And sure. I just, um, two things. My mother went through a terrible death. She had cancer. And uh, and again, I don't know if it would have changed me, but they did all the treatments, yep. which I think made it even worse on her. I, and my mother, same thing. I think it was worse. My father had dementia and he died. There was a horrible death for him. And they, luckily, as they're, somebody else is going through dementia, they're usually out of it and not aware yeah. of what's going on. It's harder to them. Yeah, it's different. But I watched, I can't, I can't imagine myself, again, I'm not being critical of other people. This is my belief. I can't imagine myself not being able to live the full life that I'm living now. And again, if other people want to go live in a retirement home, or move, yeah. that's totally up to them. I'm not saying it's wrong. For me, I think because I've just led this, I've been very lucky in my life. I, I, my life has been one big adventure. I've done all these different things. And I don't want that to, I don't want to spend my last 10 years sitting around not being able to do things anymore. Yeah, but I don't think anyone is telling you that. I just think it's it's funny because you, you mentioned several times on the show that you said you would have had a longer career had you listened to some of these experts who are telling you to take care of yourself, take care of your back. So now wouldn't you, what if a doctor says to you, hey, you can have an extra 20 years. Well, you say, I think I've learned so much. I still, I do, so I do listen to people. That's how I've learned all the things I've learned. So you, what to eat, what you do, fasting is. It's all good. Oh, right. I, I, I fast as well. I think it's wonderful. Uh, all the Again, th- you know, listen, I, I don't care. So if somebody's got cancer or whatever, listen, you've got to do what's right for you. Sure. I don't want to influence people. I, that's for me. I just, um, something's going to take me. There's a great country song where. Of course, there's a country song yeah, that said that. Yeah. So again, so you're back, you're leading into that stubbornness that you're like, oh, that's the way I'm going to do it. And I'm just going to not listen and I'm going to be stubborn. All right. It's worked out pretty good so, so far. It was good. And you know, who's had a fantastic life is our next guest who was a number one pick and didn't, probably didn't have the career that he wanted, but had a great second career. Right. Yeah. We used to pick on him awful too, but. Uh, right now, well, maybe you should apologize this episode coming up. Yeah. We haven't apologized to anybody. Well, you, you kind of tried to apologize to, uh, to Robert Picard, but that didn't yeah, he he sort of, yeah. yeah. But, but, um. But Brian Lawton, our next guest, is a first Amer- first overall, first American pick, first overall. Yeah, totally. Um, had a lot of expectations on him. Had a, a decent career, but probably probably wanted a better career. Right. And then had a great second career. Good example of a young guy who's 18 years old, drafted first overall, U.S.-born player. Now he comes into this world, right? Yeah. Maybe sick men in some ways, the way we acted. He's a good he's a good kid. He's an 18-year-old kid. Like, yeah. When I was 18, I was going into college my first year. And we, I remember playing against him. We just rurally like the things we said to him the physical play and that was the game we knew we could get to somebody uh then we would do it we was, was there any like uh, anti-american bias towards him too because he was the first american picker was that go i think the stigma back then was that the american board players were not as tough as the canadian yeah, but you had pavlich you had right. you know you had a lot of american guys on your team totally yeah. 
And that's when those guys start coming along, even like Thomas Sansom as a Swede coming in, those sure. views, they changed because those they, guys were physical. They went away. Yeah, because they, they, they proved themselves. But I guess maybe because he was an eight-year-old kid, maybe. Yeah. And he didn't stick up for himself, you know. But it was, it was almost unfair. He was in a no-win position. 150 pounds, 18 years, right out of high school. And, and there was, back in those days, it was like, okay, you're in the NHL, go deal with it. There's no right. like, like, there's nobody there to help you through it. Yeah. Uh, where do you live? Where are where your meals? Yeah, that's definitely changed. I'm sure that culture has totally yeah. changed now. That's uh, but but listen, Brian Lawton became incredibly successful as yeah. people will hear in his post uh, hockey career. Really, really yeah, successful. I love seeing that intelligent guy. So you know, although he was still in the hockey world when he was like, a GM in uh, Tampa there, sure. but it's, it's a different world. You're not like you're not a player. You're a management. You got to make business decisions. Sure. And you got you got to be. And he's very successful. So yeah. enjoy this next episode, Brian Lawton. All right, Tom, we got a, a big show today. We got a, a former first overall pick, former agent like yourself, and a uh, one-time GM and analyst. We have Brian Lawton on the show today. You've done a lot of things. Sometimes be, I, people say, I've done a lot of things, but you, I'm looking at your record here, you've done a lot of stuff. How are you doing there, Mr. Lawton? Good to see you. I'm doing fantastic. It's always great to catch up with old teammates. Even yeah, it is, isn't it? It's great here that long. I still, uh, you left a lasting impression on me on what a great guy you were. So. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> it must have been a good day then. I don't know, like, that doesn't happen very often. Wait, it's about, a, were you, it's a lot of good days. I'd forgotten that we were teammates for a short period of time there. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Were you guys competing agents against each other at the same yep. time frame? Definitely were. Yeah. We, I think we both put our start at the same time, didn't we? We really did. And uh, never any animosity. I, I, yeah. There, there wasn't. At different times, you'd have animosity with different people that were in the business. Never had that with you, Tom. Yeah. Uh, never had it with Solomon. Bunch of guys. Yeah. You know, I think most of us at that time, you're right. It wasn't as nasty. It got nastier. The money went higher. People was more at stake. And, you know, the one thing was, I think most of us, uh, if you had a client, they said, no, that's Brian Lawton's client. I'm going to leave him alone. Now, if the guy was unhappy with Brian Lawton or unhappy with Tom Laidlaw and wanted to make a change, then obviously you've got to talk to him. But, right. uh, yeah, that was fun. So you we were talking here before the show. You grew up in the like first six months in New Jersey, then moved to Rhode Island. I was born in New Brunswick, New Jersey, which oh. people always ask me about New Jersey. And my grandparents lived in Kingsburg, but I really don't know that much about New Jersey, even though the last, you know, basically prior to this season, the last seven years, I had been working in Sea Caucus for NHL Network. But uh, the, the story was very simple. My, my dad's dad and his dad all worked for the New York Times. That's kind of what you did. If you go back a couple generations, you do what your father did. In this country, used to that doesn't happen anymore. Kids will have no idea what we're talking about now. But yeah. my dad got a job with the Providence Journal uh, right after I was born. Moved to Providence, um, loved living there. Huge Boston Bruins fan. The sole reason why I ended up playing hockey, the Bruins were so big. I only lived about thirty-five miles from Boston. That influenced my life and all the kids in the neighborhood. There's always some story like that. But people ask me why I didn't go into my dad's business. And I did go one time with him when I was like 14. And uh, my dad used to deal with these huge rolls of paper, climb these enormous ladders, tons of noise, terrible smells. One time I never went back and said, I need to figure out what I need <laughs> really fast because it can't be this. Yeah. And, uh, it left a real lasting impression on me. And I never went back again. My dad hardly ever saw me play when I was an amateur player. Um, but I do remember seeing him a couple of times. He'd come in his kind of greasy work gear as a proud father and uh, 
probably would come to two games a year. Yeah. Uh, now, were you a pretty good player right away? Were you a big goal scorer and everything when you were a kid? Uh, in high school, I did very well. Um, I played at Mount St. Charles. We had, uh, as a freshman, we, we, excuse me, as a sophomore, we played against Bobby Carpenter, who was big deal back then. That's right. Uh, we ended up beating them, played head to head against Bobby, who went on and played fantastic for the Washington Capitals. And he was the first overall pick too in the draft, wasn't he? Uh, Bobby was third overall. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was Ron Francis, Doug Smith, oh. and Bobby Carpenter, I believe. That's right. You're testing my memory now. Yeah, we, we there was a lot more hockey going on in places like that way back when. Played Tom Barrasso's team when I was a senior in high school. He played at Acton Boxborough. Tom, of course, went on to the Sabres in a great career. Um, but it was a good place to grow up, Rhode Island. I enjoyed it. I uh, have moved out of there since I was drafted by the North Stars, lived predominantly in Minnesota and wherever the journey of hockey has taken me, which has been a lot of different places. Over so you were a first overall pick in the NHL draft right out of high school, correct? Yes. Wow. And what kind of pressure is that like on you? You know, you, you don't know what you don't know. And at that time, you know, the league was significantly different. Tom, you're Canadian. Uh, I was the first American yeah. picked first overall. And um, it was just different. There wasn't a lot of Americans on the team in Minnesota. Neil Broughton, there was some. Uh, Tommy Hirsch was there. Scotty Bustad eventually. Gordy Roberts, who, of course, played forever, was an yeah. American, but he played in the Western League. And uh, it was just different. People were, uh, the players were more shocked. I, I found it hard to fit in when I was younger. Yeah. And um, well, you know, to be, Just to be an 18-year-old man, Playing in the National Hockey League, that's a tough thing right there, right? Yes, and the North Stars had a very good team also. I mean, they had made a, a trade the year before with Pittsburgh to end up getting that pick. So, you know, in some ways it's really good. The problem for me was as an 18-year-old, as an our centers were Bobby Smith, Neil Broughton. They had traded for Dennis Baruch in the offseason who had scored 60 goals twice. That's right. We had George Ferguson, who was a tremendous uh, human and a, a great defensive player as the fourth center. And it was really a challenge just to end up playing 58 games because I was injured. But, uh, you know, it was a rough first year. Score, I scored about 31 points, which didn't seem terrible. But when you're a first pick overall, uh, that doesn't sit well. Yeah. And I was one of those mudhead defensemen that said, okay, here's this 18-year-old kid. Let's go punch him in the head. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It happens uh, all the time. And, and a part of me didn't really understand it because I'd always – like every player that makes it to the National Hockey League, almost everyone has been somebody somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Before you get there, and then all of a sudden, everybody's yeah. been somebody, and nobody cares who you are. So it was a big adjustment for me. In hindsight, I tell people this all the time. I wish I'd probably gone to college for at least one or two years. Yeah. Well, I think back when I was eighteen year old at that that time, there's just no way I could have played in the National Hockey League. So yeah. yeah. Plus, they didn't do you any favors, too, Brian. They slapped number 98 on you the first year. More pressure on you. Yeah, there was a lot of pressure for that. Nobody was kinder than Wayne Gretzky just being the class act he was because we played Edmonton all the time. And I remember the first time we played him, the reporters came in and said, Wayne said you really let the puck do the work and all this great stuff. I was like, oh, that was really nice of him. Um, but it didn't sit well with anybody else. And the, number, the guy that it should have insulted the most was Wayne Gretzky. I changed that number the following year because I couldn't figure out why they would skate by me and slash me. Isn't it funny? Because that's the way the league was back then. It wasn't about you, as you know. It was a personal thing. It's just if we found that we get some edge on somebody player, 
we, I remember early uh, when people started putting the shields on, the plastic shields, we would put Vaseline on the outside of our glove and then go rub the Vaseline all over the guy's shield. They couldn't get it off. I mean, that's, we we're barbarians back then. So, And I had never played without a shield until I got to the NHL. Oh, okay. I played without a shield for the first maybe year and a half, two years. I put it on briefly, got slashed twice as much as before that, and <laughs> took it off again. I just said, I can't do it. Uh, so how many, years, how many years were you in Minnesota then? Five years. Five years. Then where did you go next? I got traded to the Rangers. Oh, that's okay. And then Hartford after that? Then Hartford after that. Lloyd, let's talk about the Ranger time. Now. I know. I just was like, you're there. Timeline then, yeah. Because you're there. Well, I was there at that time. And who'd you get traded for? Uh, Mark Tenorti, who ended up being terrific. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. A couple other guys. It was myself and Igor Lieber. Oh, Igor Lieber. Oh, I remember Igor. Wow. Was that a fill trade? That was a fill trade. Yeah, that was a fill trade. Yeah. So that's the one thing we have the agent thing in common. We get common. We both get traded by Phyllis Zito. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Find a million things you can keep going. Oh, yeah. Well, Trader Trader Phil. Trader Phil. Yeah. And so then the story was from the Rangers, because you'll remember this because you were good friends with Donnie Maloney. I was only there a brief period of time, got traded right after training camp, got traded on Christmas, essentially, and told on Boxing Day. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, wow. I was at the hotel, and I remember we were at, we had an afternoon game for the Rangers. I can't remember who we were playing, but I saw Phil having breakfast with Donnie. Oh. And Donnie Maloney and Norma Kyra and myself were all traded to Hartford. And I was like, God, Donnie looks really concerned, troubled, even. Like, I had no idea. I mean, I'd just gone home to visit my family in Rhode Island, gave every person I know within 100 miles of my house Ranger gear because I was proud to be on the Rangers was doing okay. I think I had 17 points in like 28 games or something. You know, playing with Guy was there, LaFleur. I enjoyed it. Brian Mullen, I knew. And uh, sure enough, I went back to my room. I got a call like 30 minutes later after I saw Phil and Donnie having breakfast telling me uh, good news and bad news. <laughs> bad news is you're not playing this afternoon for the Rangers. <laughs> well, oh. good news is Get your stuff together. Get down to the rink and get your equipment. You're playing for Hartford tonight. Oh, and that's who the Rangers were playing. It was Hartford. We were not playing. Oh, okay. We were not playing the Rangers. Thank oh. God, because that's what I thought. I, I knew we were. But the way he was saying it, I was like, oh, my God, I have to play against the team. I'm just being right. honest. First right. time he was ever traded. Thankfully, that wasn't it. Uh, I don't remember who we were playing in Hartford. We, we, had, Phil on a, we had Phil on another uh, podcast. And we started talking about all the trades. And we said, well, why did you trade this player there? He said, well, the guys I liked the most, I tried to get them closest to New York with their families. And Don Maloney got traded to Hartford. He said, the guys I liked the least, I sent them as far away as possible. He traded me to LA. I'm going, Phil, I thought we got a lot of fine. I thought we were buddies. They could trade me. <laughs> I am oh. certain that he would have liked you more than me. Oh. Of course, Phil and I crossed paths. Yeah. The general manager. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's right. That's, that's actually a great story. I know we're jumping ahead, but and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Brian, but you basically sold yourself to uh, Cools and Barry, right? You said, I can run this team and here's why. Did you give a presentation? Yeah, I mean, I had been on other interviews. I don't know if I, I would always try to sell myself. The urban myth was that you like gave this presentation and blew them away. And they said, all right, you got the job. I, I had put a lot of time and effort into thinking about transitioning out of the agent business. I was running Octagon Hockey at that time. Technically, you know, Octagon Hockey was my company. They bought my company, didn't have any hockey division. 
Uh, we built it up. I brought Larry Kelly in, Alan Walsh, did all this stuff, but I wanted to transition. I always had this plan in my mind. So I started, I interviewed for Anaheim first. One other team might have been the Islanders along the way. And then I met Oren at the draft in Ottawa and they hired me there. And Oren and I are best friends to this day. I actually am working with him to sell his uh, half of his company, which owns the Saw franchise. Right. So, um, you know, it was just him and I just hit it off right away. I didn't know Len, even though I played against Len a little bit. I just didn't know him as a guy. Oren hired me, and uh, I was very thankful for that. You know, and how many, year, how many years were GM there? We were. I was there for two years. So I got hired at that draft in Ottawa. Um, asked me if I wanted to go down and run the draft. This was literally like on a Monday. The draft was on uh, Saturday. Day. Yeah. It's like, no, I don't want to do that. Let's just go over what the plans are. You know, they were thinking at that time about potentially trading the number one pick. I said, no, we can't do that, you guys. Stamkos is awesome. Dowdy's terrific. Uh, you know, it's hard for me to jump in. I haven't met the staff. You know, what are you, who are you going to draft? They said, we're going to take Stamkos. Great. And that was the first thing. So drafted Stammer. Second year, we came back, drafted Hedman. Oof, oh, yeah. And love him. I love him. Very good careers. They've done very, very well. But Mister was the general manager at the time. Jay knew that he wasn't going to continue on. And I only say that because after the draft, when I went to Tampa, Jay went back to Hershey where he lived in the off season. And he actually never came to Tampa when I was there at all. Oh. So, yeah. you know, I was essentially the president of hockey at that time. Wow. So that's a pretty, I mean, you were very successful as an agent, but it's still a pretty big jump to go from, being the agent is now running the team, president and general manager, right? Yeah, it, it definitely, uh, it was a big jump. I felt like I had a competitive advantage in some ways, as I learned very quickly, once you become a GM and you get so engulfed with your team, it's hard to stay as current on the rest of the things that are going on. Right, right. And uh, before I did this, I went and I spent time with Brian Burke. I mean, I was very, very concise and succinct as to how I wanted to prepare for this. I went and spent time with Lou Lamarillo. I asked probably five other GMs if they would do that for me. And those were the only two guys that said yes. Oh, really? Wow. Yep. Yeah. Surprised by that. Some of the other guys are well-known guys today. They're still doing it. I was always like, God, that's such BS. Like, Yeah, no kidding. So you wouldn't ask them just to get their opinion on things. And they said, no, I'm not going to do that for you. Yes. I, I went beyond that. I said, I'd love to come into town and spend three right. days. Just kind of job shadowing you. I was serious about this, obviously. I'd put a lot of time and effort into it. I love being an agent. I love working with players. But my life is always about looking for the challenges. Like that was the next challenge. And Lou Lamarillo, I mean, he was amazing to me. I was going to go to Providence College. So, you know, I, I, I shouldn't be surprised, but Lou's amazing to everybody. And that's yeah. what yeah. you know. When I was managing Tampa, it wasn't working out the way I wanted it to. They had hired Barry Melrose before I got there, which was a oh. terrible deal for Barry because he had just been hired, but I didn't hire him. Right. We had some philosophical differences. Eventually, I wanted to let him go. And the two people I called to ask them how I should handle this were Brian Burke and Lou Lamarillo. Sure. And those guys called me every day for like three weeks after that to see how I was doing. I mean, I haven't ever been more touched by kindness by some of the toughest people in this business that were associated with doing it their way and 
you know, the reason those guys have been so successful is because they understand, you know, this human element. Yeah. yeah. And it was really impactful for me. And I was very, very thankful that Lou Lamarillo called me. You know, we let, made a change of coach, let the coach go, had a game the next night. And he called me before I got to the bus after the game to let me know he had watched the interviews I'd been doing and had done. And I was doing fantastic and yeah, good. great work. And it was just really, really touching. That's good. So it's just so people understand, to go back to the Barry Melrose situation, typically they'll hire a GM first. He'll know who he wants as a coach. I remember when they hired Chris Drury here at the Rangers, they let him then hire Gerard Gallat. He knew who he wanted, the style of coach, and to interview people. So that put Brian in a tough spot. Now when he takes the job over and they just hired a new coach, it's hard to really fire him right away. Um, uh, but he clearly wasn't. And it doesn't mean that Barry, Barry Melrose is a bad guy or a bad coach. He's just not Brian Lawton's style of coach. Barry Melrose is as fine a human being as I know. And him and I ended up working together at NHL Network. Oh, yeah. And a lot of the producers and the guys that ran were like, oh, are you okay to work with Barry? I mean, I was like, I would love to work with Barry. I, yeah. I think the world of him, he's tremendous in TV. He had a great run as a coach, as everybody knows. It Just because it didn't work out between him and I, it, it just... It was stuff that, yeah, I'm sure it's more my fault than his fault. But uh, Barry was never anything but a gentleman about it, and I know that he knows that I have great respect for him. So I was never concerned. I think you're being a good guy there, saying it's your fault. I, I'd rather say it's just he's not your style of coach, right? I mean, you you know what you want from your hockey team. You know what the culture you want. And again, it's not Barry Miller just the bad guy. It's just maybe the different culture, different style of coach. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it happens. Uh, everybody accepts that. I knew that uh, going into the job. Barry certainly had been around a long time and was a real veteran. So, you know, it's always uncomfortable. Those are tough things to do, but uh, that's part of the job. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So two years as general manager, then you move on from there. What'd you do after that? After that, I actually, Nick Kiprios recruited me to work at Sportsnet. Oh, yeah. Yes. Which I did for about two or three years. I really enjoyed it. Uh, they treated me fantastic. Um, I took a year off after three years, and I was helping a gentleman by the name of Matt Holsizer, 
try to get a deal for a National Hockey League team, which eventually I ended up putting him into the Minnesota Wild. That's right. I remember that. Yes. Yes. Uh, Matt was a uh, general partner there, minority general partner, and him and I continue to be good friends. This company that you see me here today at is called Sports Digita, and Matt is the only institutional investor we've let in uh, thus far. We have about 80 people here. My wife runs this company. She's the CEO. We work with uh, probably three or 400 sports teams around the world. We also work now with any company we are a software platform that helps people sell things. And um, it's it's gone very, very well since my well, wife's. So company. let me get this straight then. Your wife is your boss? Uh, technically, I'm the only board member at this company. Oh, okay. So okay. technically, I'm her boss. Oh, in, okay. I get that. In her mind, my boss. Technically. Uh, and if sure. you're smart, if you were smart, you'll let her continue to believe that too. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I would never challenge you. My only role here at Sports Digita is that I'm an advisor and I do do anything that has to do with raising funds. If we eventually sell this company, which we have talked about, um, I will handle all that from A to Z. Very good. And then you worked on uh, the NHL network for what, seven years, you were telling me? Yes, I was there for seven years. I loved it. Uh, worked out of Sea Caucus. was you know, got to be a little too much away from some of the other responsibilities that I have, whether it be here with Sports Digital or other things I'm working on. Um, but I, I enjoyed it. Josh Bernstein, who used to work with the Islanders, you may actually know Josh, terrific. Sure. In being, uh, loved the opportunity there. Uh, it was just a lot of fun. Couldn't enjoy the people I worked with more. Um, you know, just seven years was enough for that. I would like to eventually get back working for a team. That's what I'm putting most of my time and effort into these days. Do you want to get back to be a general manager? It uh, doesn't have to be a general manager. I would love to just work with a, a group of people. You know, I've spent a lot of time on analytics. I actually, I hired the person that runs analytics in Tampa. He's still there, a guy by the name of Michael Peterson. I actually hired a guy for Washington Capitals. Brian McClellan used to be a roommate of mine, a guy by the name of Tim Barnes, does an incredible job. And uh, I just think there's some areas I can help a club in, in that regard. Obviously, uh, owning a tech company, pretty familiar with how things go and uh, work and think it's kind of low-hanging fruit for a lot of clubs still in the National Hockey League. Right. Very cool. So how many games did you get in the National Hockey League as a player? Just under 500. Do you look back and are you happy with what happened in your National Hockey League career? Uh, obviously, I wish I had been better. I always have mixed emotions on it. You know, playing nearly 500 games is quite an accomplishment. Yep, absolutely. Tend to look at the world as a glass uh, half full, not the other way around. And I'm making it to, as you know, Tom, you had an amazing career. You're an amazing player. I saw it up front, close and impersonal. So, um, it's just a great accomplishment. You know how many yeah. players you played with. Oh, yeah. Honestly, to, play, they, yeah to play 500 games in the National Hockey League, Brian, that, you should be very proud of yourself. Yeah. I, 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 I'd I, like to say I put it in perspective, and I am proud of that. Um, you always want more. That's just the nature yeah. of life. But, yeah. uh, yes, in general, I've been able to use that to uh, springboard me into some other areas in the game, and I feel very, very blessed. Yeah, very cool. You got children? Three children. Um, one of them works here in this company. 
The other one is a freshman, was a freshman this year in college. And the other one goes to Wisconsin and he's a junior in college. Hockey players or no? Uh, my two boys, the first two, the oldest two, were both hockey players. My one son won a state championship uh, here in Minnesota. And yeah. both of them played, but neither one of them wanted to play college. It's a little bit of a curse sometimes. Yeah. It can be if you have a parent that played because it's yeah. tough on kids. So they enjoyed it. Um, I love that they played, and I love that they're moving on in their life doing other things. That's very cool. So uh, we didn't go back a little bit to your draft day when you actually drafted. Where were you? Where, where was the draft? Draft was in Montreal at all times back then. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. Always. Um, wasn't going to go to the draft. I was finishing high school. I was still 17 at the time. And uh, got a call from somebody. Nobody called me, but called my family. Said, you know, you, your son really should go to the draft. And I was graduating that weekend and was kind of like, well, you know, I'm supposed to graduate. Eventually went to the draft, stayed at the Manoir Le Moyne. I was on my way to the draft that morning. I ran into a, a very famous young woman by the name of Jody Foster in the elevator. Oh, yeah. yeah. I talked to her for about 15 minutes. I arrived just in time for the draft as I got called, actually. Really? So did you know you were going first overall? No. Oh. No, I, you know, I mean, at that time, information didn't flow the way it is right. now. You know, the hype wasn't nearly as great either. I put it in perspective. I mean, right. you know, if you're picked in the third round now, you've probably done more media and fans know more about you than they probably did about all of us. Sure. Then yeah. times have just progressed. I think it's fun. I've covered a million drafts as you have, Tom, as an agent, as a general manager. I did the draft all six of the seven years that I was at NHL Network. Um, I've seen a lot of drafts. I understand it. Great time for young people, but it is just the beginning, not the yeah. end. Isn't that true? That's the misconception, right? That people think because you're drafted, you know, where, where it is, wow, now you're going to be in the National Hockey League. That's just the numbers just don't bear out that way, right? It's, there's still a lot of work to be done. No, there's so much work to be done. You don't know that, though. And when you're yeah. Young, yeah. You know, you're just thrilled to be there and you yeah. see that enthusiasm year in and year out. That's what I've always liked about the draft. Let me tell a story. Tom's, Tom hates it here when I tell stories over and over, but I tell about my draft day. I was cleaning you know, horse shit out of the stalls. And, uh, yeah. So many friends that have these great stories tell your Oh, yeah. So, see, he likes to hear my stories, Tom. Yeah. yeah so, the audience. so uh, I was cleaning horse shit out of the stalls and they called, obviously, no cell phones back then. They called my father at our farm. He then called the other farm where I was working. I go up to the uh, house there. He says, well, the Rangers just called to get drafted in the sixth round. So what do I do now? He says, get back out there and finish cleaning the shit out of the stalls. That was my that was my draft day. And, and the Rangers didn't call me for months. I had to finally call them and say, what do you want me to do? This is after my sophomore year because I was drafted as a 20-year-old. And uh, and they said, what, what are they doing calling us? Like they were insulted that I called them. Like, get back up there and get to work. So I'll, I'll work out all right. But it's funny, that's because, like you said, as being an agent as you were, Going to the draft, everybody's in their suits. There's all the meetings have taken place. There's all this preparation. You have a pretty good idea where the player is going to get drafted. But yeah, back then there was nothing like I didn't even think I knew the draft was that day back then. Yeah. Oh, Mike Lee tells me he's playing frisbee at Bowling Green when he got drafted oh. with a bunch of very cute girls, as Mike likes to tell it. Sorry, we ran. And uh, he just he couldn't be bothered. Somebody said, "There's a phone call for you," and he's like, "Yeah, I'll call him back." Oh, it's all right. He didn't take all that classic stuff. It's good. 
Oh, man. Just he's different. And Mike was a second rounder. It's not like he was, yeah. Yeah, six rounders. They didn't really, you know, we didn't talk to. No, kid. They said you pigeon or something. Hey, hey, can you go easy on the six rounds? Was Joe Pavelski was seventh rounder. Is that right? He was, wasn't he? It was Ben Robotai. Yeah, Robotai was. Yeah. Uh, Pavel Dutsak. Pavel. That's who. He changed his name. <laughs> tons, tons of guys. Dave yeah. Hill was like. Patrick Lundquist. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just, you never know. And that's the great thing about hockey. Hockey's the. Yeah. The toughest of all the drafts, you know, the NBA draft was just recently, and you know, the, the guy they picked is seven foot five and can handle the ball like right. you know, we can't imagine. But he's played at a pro league already. Right. There's a better read in hockey. You know, we're all still playing high school, which has only happened once, where someone was picked first. Jeremy Roenick was picked out of high school. There's been lots of good high school players. Chris Kreider is another one that comes to mind. But uh, ultimately. It's hard to pick kids younger. Right. Have- you, you talked about analytics before. What do you think of the analytics that kind of studies the personality of the players? Do you, do you agree with that or like that? Um, done some work in that area. A lot of it ends up being essentially what's really common now, but e- even going back five, six years, the analytics are AI combing people's social media trying to give them a score based off of that. It's been pretty junior, I'd imagine. I haven't done that in five years. Before that, like when we drafted Victor Hedman my second year down in Tampa, I brought John Tavares, Victor Hedman, and Matt Duchesne all to Tampa. That's not unusual. A lot of teams bring the top kids in that you have a chance to select, but I brought them up there all at the same time. Oh, so they were there exactly the same time. They did their testing together. They did some workouts together. They had dinners together. We met with them individually also, but uh, I wanted to see how they interacted as kids. And they they couldn't have been any more different. Uh, Matt Duchesne was this wonderful human being that was from Halliburton. His parents were realtors, you know, quite a bit outside of Toronto, as you know. Um, Victor Hedman was this guy who had been playing with Matthias Tamander, you know, in the storied program in the Swedish top league. And was already essentially a, a man and a pro. And John Tavares was this TSN superstar that the world already knew because of the greatness he had delivered already. So it was really, really interesting. Um, the final takeaway for us that year was that from our staff was that we would select Matt Duchesne. So I didn't say anything. I went to all the meetings. I just, look, you guys, uh, whatever happens, you're going to make. All the picks in the draft, unless it's in the top five, then I'm going to reserve the right to always overrule you. And that's that's my right as a general manager. But I wanted to be clear. I told everybody that up front, but I never said a word all year. I never told anybody that we weren't going to select Matt. I went and told the owners. I had to report up, of course. You got to manage up. I wouldn't want to have been shocked until we went to the draft. And then when we got to the draft, I sat down with everybody. We had a very heavy Western Canadian scouting staff. And I knew that, you know, Hockey Canada scouting staff as well. They had just a little bit of tendency to those players that I knew they were going to be upset. And they were very, they were very, very disappointed. That oh, was that, that right? Eh? We were going to pick Victor Edmund. And I just said, look, I told you guys, I always will reserve the right. Anybody that's in the top five, that's on me. Even as, Is that typical for other general managers to do it that way? Not everybody will do it that way. Everybody will have their own twist to it. No, there's no tried or true. Some guys will say, no, I let the staff make those picks. I don't have time. My line of thought was it that, look, if you're the GM and you have a pick that's that valuable to the organization, sure. 
have to carve out time in your schedule. It's a busy schedule to get out and see these guys. And that's what I did. I felt really comfortable that I had seen all three of them enough to weigh in with my opinion. And that was your second year as a general manager. Second year as general manager. Well, I don't think people realize what a gutsy move that is. I mean that in a very good way towards you because, again, you've got these veteran scouts that drafted many players. Here you are as a second-year general manager, and you're overruling them and taking that. You're still taking a great player. I mean, they're all on three. What a pick, though. Honestly, at that time, there was it wasn't a – it worked out very well. But at that time, I knew it would be controversial with the staff, but I had – I felt like I'd handled it properly. I felt very strongly about the players. As an agent, Tom, as you know, we spend a ton of time out there trying to figure out who's going to be a player. So I felt like I'd scouted a very long time by that point, obviously played like yourself. And uh, I felt like it was my responsibility. But the the reason I say it wasn't really a hero move or anything that unusual and that I felt, I really felt all three of those guys and I could have went deep, were really good players. If you study this stuff the way that we were back then and everybody is now and a lot of people were back then as well, then it's 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 not a science as much as people think. Yeah. It's more and I felt very comfortable that when we lost the lottery, we didn't really lose it, but we didn't move up or we didn't move down. Everybody I remember a couple of guys said, geez, you don't seem very very upset, Brian. But I knew the Islanders were gonna take John Tavares. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you ended up with Victor Hedman. That's not a bad second prize, right? Yeah. I was gonna get a guy that I wanted. Anyhow, because I was not going to take John. And the only thing that made me nervous that year is that my scouts loved John. And with good reason. John's had an amazing career. Um, We had a bunch of forwards. I had all these reasons in my mind. I just was hoping that I wouldn't have to explain to my scouts that, oh, by the way, (laughs) not that we're not taking Matt, too. We're not going to take John, one, either. In my opinion, that would have been, I would have made that decision. We're going to call you Kevin Costner from the movie Draft Day. Have you seen that? I have seen that. Movie. Yeah. Yes. Well, did did Stamkos lobby for Tavares? Because they obviously grew up together. They're buddies. It would have been crushing for Steven if we had not taken John out. But Steven would never do that. Steven is just like the greatest kid ever that you can ever. He's not a kid anymore. But for me, I'll always think of him and Victor in those terms. We were kids when they started back there when I was there. But no, Steven, would, he's too classy to, he, I'm sure he would have, made his opinion known, but yeah. he's just, he's an all-in team guy. And whatever the team is doing, he would have done. Have you guys seen that great commercial with Stamkos and Hedman, yes. the baby and everything? That's mm-hmm. classic. That's a good commercial. I like that one. It's, it's, it's great. Well, Brian, uh, first of all, thank you very much for coming on the show. I'm glad we got to catch up again. I'm very happy that you've done so well in life after the game. Probably done, like, you things you've done, pretty impressive stuff, man. Thank you. Uh, you as well. And, you know, we were talking about some of the great things you've done. I love it. It's great to see you. I'm sorry we had such a difficult time. No problem. This, that is on me, of course, but uh, I'm very thankful that you're able to have me out. All right, brother. Great to see you again. Appreciate it, Brian. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Tom, we've said this before, but that interview with Brian Law, that's pro- he's probably the epitome of making that second chapter because yes. he, yep. he was first overall pick. He wasn't a superstar. His career after the NHL was way better yep. than as it was as a player. It was interesting uh, listening to him talk to you about how when he was 18 years old coming into the NHL, and guys like myself were always punching him in the head, and he couldn't figure out, why, why are they doing this? You know, he came right from high school, yep. at Mount St. Charles High School in Woodstock, Rhode Island. 
and he was a target for everybody. He was that first overall pick in the draft. Uh, and, and again, like I said, I, I guess I didn't realize that he didn't understand why we were doing what we we're doing to him. And I, I probably hurt him a little bit too, because, uh, you know, we did it because we want to show that we could intimidate him if right. he had fought back more. But again, I am very, very proud of him too. Like he, what he's done after the game, again, still played 500 games in yep. NHL, so it's not awful, but what he's done after the game is much better than what I uh, played. So. Yeah. And you said you guys were horrible to him. Oh, so he was there. But I guess that's any, you know, young cub coming in, you're like, fuck this kid. We're going yeah, to the- run him. I actually forgot that I played with him with the Rangers. He's only been for 40 games or whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's just, that was, and that, the game is so different too. That was part yeah. of the strategy. Like intimidation was part of the strategy of the game. And and when you didn't show that you weren't going to get intimidated, then we just continued to intimidate you. Well, then they they, they, they drafted him first overall out of high school. So there's a yeah. lot of pressure there. They slapped 98 on him. They did that to Sackick too. I, first year. I forgot about that too. You know, like, so like, who's thinking about that kind of stuff? He's an 18 year old kid. Yeah, like well, yeah, the management is doing that. Yeah, it's like just give me number nine, like only be normal, yeah. you know. I, just having me playing at eighteen years old back then, because that was man, like hard men yeah. that were beating the crap out of each other. You know, and there's eighteen years kid in high school. Yeah, just wasn't fair. And I, you know what? I guess I really didn't look at it that way until now. Have that conversation with him, how he felt at that time going yeah. through it. But like I said, he's done very well after the game. I loved hearing his stories about the headman and drafting. Oh yeah. He's yeah. very and very successful as an agent like yourself. Then he became a general manager, a TV guy. He's got some yeah. businesses. Yeah, he's a uh, very well well spoken guy. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know he's a uh, he was good to come on the show. It's great to have him on, and you know it's a great career. Very interesting. Yeah, good guy too, right? Like he's really like the people in his life that he's like, friends with from the past, like Tippett and other guys that he talked yeah. about a lot. I, I don't know. I, I just keep thinking to myself like now that you know, him, like now I'm 65 years old. I know him now as a person. Thinking back to how we treated him, on the- you feel like a dick now, right? Well. Yeah, it's just like the, the poor kid when he must have been going through at 18 years old but you know then that those days it was my job to chop us wins well let's ask this in knowing what you know now would you go back and would you do the same thing oh i push harder yeah. <laughs> it's just you know it's it's just the way the game was because if i well we joke around with the story about robert ricard all the time if i didn't do that to poor robert ricard i i, I still played in the nhl but i shouldn't increase my chances of playing the NFL. you sure did and but brian lawton had a great uh, career 500 games yeah, in the NHL totally. is is amazing. Yep, and, and then you know the second the post uh, hockey post NHL yeah. player career is incredible. You still, you know what? I don't think I really appreciate how intelligent a person he was until that interview to really see the decision making process, how he got the job in Tampa, yep. uh, even the, the firing of Barry Melrose, and how he talked about that. So, a very impressive guy. I've got a whole new way to look at Brian Lawton. Awesome show. Yep. All right, grasshoppers. Thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time.